burning tape. <laughs> Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. What's up? How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's again, that awkward thing where the guest isn't supposed to talk until we introduce him. So I, right. I feel this like urge to like, let's get to the guest right away. Well, it's very yeah. exciting. We haven't had a guest. In, it feels like forever, David. Yeah, it's actually only been six weeks, but, but that's uh, all right. Uh, our guest is Ed Salazar. Hello, Internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Ed, well, we'll g- okay, you know what? I, I just wanted to get your introduction out of the way, and we'll get to the getting to know Ed in mm-hmm. a minute. But uh, Just hang tight, buddy. Uh, there were a couple things I wanted to talk about. One, we got an email that yeah. brightened my day. Yeah. We got an email from uh, a dude who uh, said that he's not a film geek at all, and he just listens to us because we're so entertaining. <laughs> which is and that, and part of part that of me is like oh that's occurred to me that that was a possibility oh not at all <laughs> i was like oh that's very nice of him i hope you enjoyed the haze code episode yeah. buddy uh i think i should just hang out in the lobby of arc light all the time <laughs> <laughs> over here conversations <laughs> now i'm just insulted uh, i was feeling good for a while and then uh, you completely reduced us i like what your shirt what was that? I like your shirt. I Thank like what you're you. Wearing. This is the second compliment I've gotten on this shirt in, in a week. Yeah. The other one was at the dentist. You haven't been wearing it the whole week straight. <laughs> have you? No, 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 okay, no. Good, good. He has to get two compliments before he can take a shirt <laughs> exactly. off. Exactly, <laughs> guys. You apparently haven't read the game. I neg people all the time. It's, all, it's compliment <laughs> slap the face at the same time. Uh, I also want to mention this is a, a call, big callback to. Uh, do you remember Tyler? We told the story on the podcast once about the time that you and I went to see Scotland, PA. I do recall, yes. And uh, a quick, quick brush up for the people who who weren't uh, listening then, or and for Ed, who no doubt doesn't know the story. But uh, essentially, I went and bought my ticket. It was eight dollars, and I went and sat down. And then Tyler sat down, and he was like, "How much was your ticket?" And I was like, eight. And he said, "He only charged me four. And I was like, "Oh, good for you. You know, you got away with something." He was like, "No, I can't do it." So he went back. He went back to the. Hold on. He went back to the guy, and it turned out that. The price of the ticket was $4. I had been overcharged. And if Tyler hadn't been the good person that he that he is, I would have been out $4. So I was at Macy's the other day, and I was buying two pairs of socks, and I set them down on the counter, stacked one on top of the other. And the woman scanned it, and she said, you know, that'll be six ninety eight. And I was like, and, and I hesitated for a second because I was like, oh, she clearly only scanned one so- one pair of socks. <laughs> and I let it go, and I just couldn't do it. I was like, ah, uh, there's two socks there. Nice. So I, I learned something. So, so right. in your head, Tyler saved you four dollars. In my head, Tyler's cost you two ninety eight. See how like I'm amoral though. But no, the, right? Clearly, clearly. <laughs> like, no. So I'm glad I could inspire you. Don't let Ed, you know, uh, throw you yeah, off. If you don't want get out a free pair of socks. So, what do you uh, wear? Gold toes? Uh, these were Kenneth Cole. They were on sale. <laughs> you, you're really becoming quite a clothes horse, David. It's you very look exciting. great, David. Can, can we describe what everyone what this looks like right now? Because this is a special <laughs> episode for me. Okay. And uh, David is wearing a pink and white striped, very nice button-down shirt, yeah. very nice pair of slacks, and good dress black dress shoes. Mm-hmm. Tyler, kind of dressed like a like a like a sort of grunge revivalist sort of. I've also heard lumberjack. <laughs> Lumber, I was avoiding lumberjack. Oh, thank you. Uh, I have my shirt off. I'm covered in other man's sweat, and I have straps of leather wrapped around my knuckles because uh, we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, then I guess it's time to get to know Ed. No, I'm sorry. Am I? Uh, I have no patience. Right. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. David, good for you. I'm glad that you're growing. It only took was well, about six or seven years at this point for the, for that lesson to sink in. David, oh, terrible yeah. choice. You're going to get screwed constantly <laughs> if you follow his, his teachings. <laughs> anyway, so Ed. Uh, Ed is uh, a, a stand-up comedian working here in, in Los Angeles. I am. Uh, but he's not from here. Let's go all the way back. Where are you from? Uh, I was raised mainly in Nebraska uh-huh. uh, and then moved out here five years ago and started doing comedy four years ago. Uh, and about... And then I think I got funny like six months ago, <laughs> like, and then uh, you know it's been great. I love do I love L.A. and I love doing it. So okay, well I can, I'll, for the record, I've known you longer than six months. Yeah, we've you've you've been funny the oh, entire time. Oh, that's you, very sweet so. of you. Uh, but uh, so you grew up in a, a small town in Nebraska, very tiny, six thousand people. Plattsmouth, is that right? Plattsmouth, Nebraska. Yes. This is like how, like unoriginal, like how kind of like. 
these are the types of people that founded this that they they were like what, what is this it's at the mouth of the plat well that's its name now like that's kind of like <laughs> the mentality of that town they're like whatever have a beer sit around huff gas we can't come up with a real name for it um so how did you you said you didn't start comedy until you moved out here what what was it like i can't imagine there's much of a comedy scene in Plattsmouth, nebraska uh what were you doing did did you did you have comedy in your mind before i yeah i've always been like you know my dad is like oddly obsessed with comedy and uh we were i was actually born in madrid and then we lived in germany and then we went to nebraska so we had military uh tv stations and you only have like one channel when you're over in europe or at least back then you did mm-hmm. so but we would always watch you gotta like a lot of benny hill hmm. Lottie Monty python uh uh this show called baba black sheep which was and like I watched a lot of, like, sitcoms and stuff like that. My dad was very into comedy and always, like, pushed me to it. Uh, I, but I just never had the guts to go and do anything with it. But, I like, I've seen, like, I'm, I, like everyone else who's out here in L.A. doing comedy, like, I've seen every episode of Saturday Night Live. Every five-minute stand-up set from the 80s, I know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if uh, every... Live at the evening at the improv, I've seen every when like the hot channel came out. Like, I was so excited to see the hot channel. Like, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's a comedy channel, it's great! So, oh, that's right. It, and that became Comedy Central, right? Or there was two comedy channels, like Ha and something else, and I think they merged eventually. Okay. But Ha had Saturday Night Live reruns, I think, right? Which was right. a big deal, and they also had um. Why can't I think of his name? Captain Kirk. Uh, William Shatner. William Shatner do one of the promos. Hmm. He's like the first ironic usage of William Shatner that I can remember. Like this is years before yeah. uh, a lot of the other stuff that he does now. It's funny. People who were born later than us don't realize there were ever non-ironic uses of William <laughs> Shatner. <laughs> yeah, like like people – I wonder if kids grow up watching Star Trek going like, he is really going over the top of the funniness here. Like, you're like no, he's really trying. Or even like Judgment at Nuremberg and, and he shows up it's like – Man, Shatner is the comic relief in that <laughs> film. Is uh, he's great? What a Thank hilarious walk-on! <laughs> like they think he's like the Christopher Walken of his generation, sort of thing. Like right, and then of course people will watch the Deer Hunter and be like, "This is this is hilarious. <laughs> this is the best." <laughs> yeah, he's really committing to this. He's really a lot of physical comedy in the Deer Hunter. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I just always kind of was into comedy, and then I was scared to do it. And then I met somebody out here who was doing this thing called Hollywood Hell House. Uh-huh. Just sort of like a parody of a religious experience. <laughs> this is the best way to. Yeah, sure. well, what it is is there's exactly those who maybe have seen the documentary Hell House. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? Which Ed? is great. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, yeah. great. You can sort of like from the whatever like church invented that. You can sort of buy the package. You buy the rights to it it's and they give you the script. Is that what it is? And so, uh, are they still doing it every year? Uh, I know it's, they did one. We've done it twice. We've done it like every other year, basically. Okay. And they do other. That group does things like purity balls and stuff like that too, which is like Jessica right. Simpson went to a purity right. ball. So uh, where you pledge your virginity to your father. So yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's an evening of intimacy between I, a father. and I mother. almost blew over that to get to the Hell House thing, but that's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a group out here that uh, will buy the rights and do it but it's they've they have like Pendulette or bill maher or yeah there like are people who were a lot of them worked on arrested development and six feet under mm-hmm. and uh they so they're friends with all these pretty big stars like i got to meet will arnett through that i got to meet wade fetterman pat oswald doug benson i wasn't even doing comedy and i just kind of like was fortunate enough to rub elbows with these people chip pope yeah and then uh i was helping my friend she was like writing a woman's show and i was kind of like her sounding board and then she was like you should go do comedy too which i think everyone is told by that somebody tells everyone that at some point like <laughs> people are always saying i should do stand-up really you're the least funny person i've ever met but uh and i went to the m bar and sweated and almost passed out doing an open mic there which was great yeah well what's it like I, i've heard other people talk about um like starting stand-up comedy in a city like los angeles or new york where there's such a strong scene and it's there's so much industry can be more daunting yeah there's definitely a, a positives and negatives to it, you know? Uh, like, the, like if you start... I have friends who, like, started in St. Louis and stuff like that. Like, you can kind of get work. You can start hosting and emceeing and, and opening. You can... Like, if you if I started in Chicago, I can go to Minneapolis. I can go to St. Louis. I can go to Nebraska. I can go to mm-hmm. Iowa and do things. And, like, 
then when you move out here, you can always fly back and do shows in Chicago. You can always, you know, like Kyle Kane can always fly back to Chicago and do shows. Bronx mm-hmm. will fly back to Chicago and Portland and do shows because that's where they're from. Uh, it makes it a little easier to do that. But in, in a way, like, I started late. So, like, I'm kind of glad that I started out here because a lot of times, like, you'll see the guy every year or so there's an influx of people who were like, they were the best person in their whatever scene they were, wherever they were. Mm-hmm. And then they come here and they just get crushed. And it takes two years a lot of times for somebody to move from somewhere else and come here and become and get their legs and push yourself. Because you, you can't, you have to do something unique and you have to do something original in LA. There's no, there's too many people watching to steal stuff or, you know, like I can't go up and do a joke about who's going to build the wall of the Mexicans or anything like that because uh-huh. someone will call you on it, you know. Yeah. Which is a hilarious joke to steal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you are, I mean, you, like you said, you started late. It's only been a few years now. But yeah. you are now a, a working comedian. I mean, you have I, a day job, but you make... I have a day job. I've been fortunate to like do a few things. Like, uh, like filmed a thing for with Jason Nash. Got me a small part on an HBO show that's coming out. Jason Nash, friend, friend of the show. Friend that's of the right. show. Guyswithfeelings.com. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, I got to film with Dave Keckner and I've done some things for Current TV now, and uh, got to go on the road and uh, go places. This, you know, it's 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 enough to where like with my day job, things are more comfortable, and it's enough to where you have like self esteem about your comedy now. I think that's the that would be the hardest thing about LA is like it's not greed that you want the money. You just want somebody to say it's worth something. Uh, that's why I like comedy. I host Comedy Meltdown once a month, which is a great show, and it's yeah. like it's really an honor to do. Linda Pine runs it, and I don't want to ruin the surprise for any comedians. But like one of the nice things about it, when you first go there, if you've never been to, done that show before, she makes a little packet. And it's a twenty dollars gift certificate. Like I got a T-shirt when I first did it, so uh-huh. it's just a little thing of like, thank you for doing the show. You're not being a burden coming onto our show. It's an honor to do for you to do the show. Yeah. You know, you feel good about yourself. Yeah, Meltdown's great. I hadn't. I went last night and mm-hmm. uh, hadn't been in almost a year, and really just realized how much I missed Ugh. the the vibe of that show. It's such a it's such a fun. I'm so I'm so lucky. Like Jonah Ray and Linda both like re, you know were like off. Jonah Ray was the host before me, and he was like he kind of recommended me, and Linda had seen me do some other stuff. Uh, she, she saw me do uh, this thing called Tournament of Nerds. And uh, which we can talk about because this movie really isn't funny. But uh, and from that, she just was like, "Okay, yeah, this guy's not going to screw up my show for yeah. hosting." So it's it's really an honor. Like I really think it's probably one of the top shows at LA right now. Like one of the few shows that comedians are like want to do and look forward to doing. Like comedy death ray. Like it's not. It doesn't have quite the notoriety of that, but I think it does for the comedians. It gives you a sense of like pride for doing a show, which is hard to get. Well, and it's and I've I've never been to it unfortunately, but it's once a month you said, and you are ho- how long have you been ho- the the host of it? This is my third hosting okay gig, and I uh, and I've done it twice, and I've done a few sketches there too, actually for her. And it seems like like for you, you're in a, kind of an interesting position because it seems like it would be. Uh, a good kind of challenge because, you know, <laughs> a f- it, it's a fair assumption that, you know, the same people will be coming. And so do you feel like, I mean, do you have to come up with new material every month or? You don't have to, but I feel like I should. It's like, it's definitely a catch-22, you know, like where you're like, and this is uh, going back to like doing comedy in L.A. This is one of the hard parts of L.A. is like part of the th- part of doing comedy is polishing things to where they work really well and you don't have to think about it and uh that's hard to do in la because it's generally the same you're seeing the same people over and over again Mm -hmm. uh so like last night it's like it ends up being a really crazy roller coaster where like 50 percent of the stuff works and because you haven't tested it all out or whatever and or i didn't you know so i do feel a lot of pressure and it can kind of the the thing that i would say like i'm not an amazing who I am or whatever but like I've been doing it for long enough to where like I can kind of tell when I see somebody like oh that guy's going to be good eventually uh the combination to me is you have to have enough self-criticism to like correct what you've done wrong 
mm-hmm. but you also have to have the confidence to perform it on stage correctly. Mm-hmm. So it's like a really weird thing. So like when you're on stage, you have to be confident. When you get off stage, you have to go like, what did I do wrong? And the bad people, the people who never get better, are either super confident and are unable to like evaluate themselves or never have confidence. So even when they know what they're supposed to do, they never can do it. Hmm. You know, so you have to like have this very specific, like, you know, like someone like Rajasai, like talking to Rajasai, who's another comedian, uh, like he's got that sort of thing. Like he know, like he on stage, he's, he's having fun. He's funny. Gets off stage and you can sit there and talk to him about what he did and he doesn't take it personally. So that, I think that's like the most important thing. If you're out there thinking of doing comedy, that's your, that has to be your attitude to me. Or get out of the business, jerks. <laughs> Another thing that occurred to me at, at Meltdown last night is that it, it may be daunting for a, a comic to start in L.A., but to be a comedy fan in L.A. Oh. is the greatest. Because I I have to remind myself not to take for granted that I can see Andy Kindler for eight bucks oh. at the back of a, a yeah. comic book store. And with free beer. With like, free, <laughs> lots of free beer. You're essentially like getting... You figure a beer is four bucks. You drink three beers. We're paying you to watch Andy Kindler, you know. What yeah, I mean? and he was uh, oh so on amazing. Fire last night. Uh, can I just say one thing about his set? We sat sat around. I went to a, a party last night after the show, and we were just talking about his uh, the guy who denied the Holocaust. Uh-huh. And we were just going. He it's it was so good. He's so amazing at exploring things and being relaxed. Like he Andy Kindler is so relaxed. It's great uh-huh. to see. But he yeah. doesn't seem relaxed. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> seem relaxed, but he he like you know he has he's maybe he's uncomfortable, but he's got guts to like like I'm uncomfortable in this, but I'm gonna do this one thing for five minutes and go back to it and keep going back to it. Yeah, I, I hosted the Tiger Lily one time, and it was literally Jimmy Dore, Maria Bamford, and Jeffrey Ross all yeah. one after the other, and I'm like, any one of these three people headline? I mean, like more than headline. You know what I mean? Like these Jim, Jimmy did our special. Jeff Ross does every roast in the world. Maria's done a special. Comedy Central presents. So it's like you have three people, one after the other, at a free show <laughs> in LA. Like, and it's still hard to get people to come to shows sometimes. So it's kind of, yeah. but everyone's into their. It's a very self-centered Los Angeles. You have your own thing. It's understandable on one hand. On the other hand, it's like. I think it's like I understand people not coming to the show. I just wish when people came to the shows they appreciated it or whatever. Right. Because it's kind of spoiled. You know? hmm. Well, let's as a segue into movies. Let's talk about the tournament of nerds. Tournament of nerds for a second because <laughs> it's a it's a cool thing, and then we'll get to the topic at hand. Yes. Yes. Uh, tournament of nerds was uh, Linda Pine uh, and Hal uh, Rudnick. I think both kind of co-produced it. And it was at. Comedy Meltdown was the first round, and the second round was at DCB, and it was like basically a March Madness of nerddom, and everyone was given a character, a movie character, uh-huh. to debate with another person. So, hmm. the, you would say like one person had Mr. Miyagi, and one person had Wonder Woman, and you would debate who would win in a fight. And <laughs> then there's a panel of judges, and the judges vote. If there's a tie, then it goes to the audience. And but but the, the comics are not. As the characters, they're... Well, there was no rules. Oh, okay. So that was what was kind of interesting, was, like, most of them, people were just debating. Right. So, like, you would have, like, a nerd saying things like, in issue 45 of Hulk, the Hulk <laughs> takes Earth, splits it in half, eats the core, closes it again. There's no way he would lose to Thor. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and uh, I think, like, when I... Like, I was kind of, like, a late addition to it, and... Uh, I was the only one who must have put the Predator down because the Predator was like is still one of my favorite movies. It's uh-huh. awesome. Mm-hmm. Like it's an awesome movie. If you haven't seen it, yeah, go see it. A thing that skins people for fun is awesome. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so like like Buffalo Bill and uh, yeah, Silence yeah. of the Lambs. Yeah, it's like super Buffalo Bill. <laughs> <laughs> the Predator constantly has its dick tucked between its legs. <laughs> it's, and it's it got it's got an alien dick, so it's totally different. <laughs> And uh, so I got the Predator, and I think, like, in a way, like, they kind of seeded it a little bit. Like, the NCAA tournaments, like, North Carolina plays, like, South Compton Community College the (laughs) first round or whatever. And, like, North Carolina is going to win. And I had to fight Superman the first round, Uh right? Mm. In In the back of a comic book shop, I have to go up and convince people that Superman would lose to the Predator, which is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) I will admit 
So I, I was sitting, I was bummed because I'm like, oh, I'm only going to get to do one thing, really. Like, I'm going to be out of this thing pretty quickly. And I thought, like, who could win this was Atticus Finch from, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, he's, yeah, like, no one, it didn't say, like, do a character, it didn't say dress up like the superhero. There was, like, one other person who dressed like Wonder Woman who was awesome. And uh, the guy from Happiness who, uh, <laughs> I forget who did, who was the guy from Happiness, but, uh, like, they did kind of a character thing. Uh, and then me, and I went as the Southern Lawyer, which has nothing to do with either Predator <laughs> or Superman. But it was like, I just remember, like, my friend, I, I was looking into going to law school, and my friend's dad telling me, like, you should see this guy from Vermont who's, like, a famous lawyer. And he suckers people, basically, and by going, like, and it's also, like, a trope. It's sort of that thing of, like, I don't know anything about anything, mm-hmm. but I know exactly what will <laughs> convince you to not. <laughs> like, I'll be like, I don't, like, I don't know anything about, about, you know, Kryptonite. finances or whatever but okay. <laughs> from what i can tell bernie madoff is a crook and then the jury goes like wait this guy doesn't know anything and he knows that like, <laughs> like and like as dumb as that sounds it works you know like and so i went up and uh also i was really fortunate uh, my friend wyatt Sinek, a friend of the show is a big like dc comic fan i'm a marvel comic fan and he's like and because of being around him i started reading all-star superman uh and uh, in All-Star Superman, the plot is Superman is dying. He got too close to the sun and basically got supercharged. Hmm. So I go up and I do my first round of debate. And then the guy who's, like, debating against me is wearing a backpack and glass. I mean, like, he looks like Milhouse from Simpsons grown <laughs> up. And he's like, an issue 45, this and this and this. And I don't care about facts at all. Like, I am just, like, <laughs> I'm just saying cliches. I'm just, like, using – I'm like a Saturday – it's like a Groundlings – character like uh-huh. debating with a, a nerd and then for my rebuttal i come out and i'm reading all-star superman and i'm just like now i don't know nothing about nothing but this comic book apparently says that superman is dying of getting too much sun what a pussy <laughs> and i just threw the comic book down on the judge's table and everyone went fucking Asian. <laughs> and when I won, like, literally beating Superman in their first round, I ran into the audience and people lifted me up. It was, like, the, it was the hugest upset. I've, and, like, uh, I really, like, had this vision of uh, every strikeout in baseball melting away in my head and every football play, that, every dropped pass in football melting away. And just, like, this, it was, like, my – that was my, like – moment like that jump shot at the end of the game moment was like beating that and i got i got all the way to the very last one which was me against darth vader uh-huh. so predator versus darth vader once again like i beat wonder woman i mean my mr miyagi argument was great i thought too i was like uh scott ackerman was on the judge the panel there and like uh i was really proud of it i i knew a week in advance that i had to go against mr miyagi I, you don't know who you're gonna go after that but you knew your first opponent and so I printed out all the people that Mr. Miyagi could have killed but never killed. <laughs> so the guy who ran the Cobra Kai's, the guy who he had the feud with in Japan, and a fly because he could never <laughs> catch the fly. With... And I go through that, and the last one I go like, and, a... and he could never kill the fly with his chopsticks. And I'm like, Mr. Miyagi literally can't hurt a fly. <laughs> and like that was it. Like after you did that, like the guy who was Mr. Miyagi couldn't really like. It's such a fucking cheese dick thing to do to somebody, but like, you can't. Like, how can you argue? In the movie, he literally can't hurt a fly. And if there's one thing about the Predator, uh, like, all the people that I was debating against, the one thing about the Predator in the movie is that he has no remorse. Like, he's the only one. Like, I was going against superheroes, and superheroes will let people go. Mm -hmm. But the the Predator is a monster that wants to just kill everything. Well, and I would. uh, You lost to Darth Vader. I would say almost as a function of, like, yeah. sentimentality. Because I think Predator could probably kill Darth Vader. <laughs> well, and here's the thing about that, too, is that I lost, but it went to the audience. Like, the judges uh, were split. I was exhausted. Like, I mean, I was really tired at that point. Like, we, the show was, like, two hours long, and, like, they had to cut things from the show. To, they had sketches in between that they wanted to do and stuff. We had to cut it. I was... literally exhausted by that point and uh you know like i had already called one woman a terrorist collaborator and stuff like (laughs) and i just i I couldn't i couldn't sum up the energy and the guy who did darth vader was a cool guy and very funny but he really didn't argue much he was just like darth vader's sweet star wars is awesome and 
the audience was like, yay. And, I, was just, and all I could really <laughs> say was like, really, half the Star Wars are awesome. Actually, two-sixths of the Star Wars is awesome. I agree with that. You know, like, uh, and but, you know, it's how you... You can't beat Superman and Darth Vader in two weeks. That's what that's the lesson <laughs> that I learned. <laughs> can't hope to beat both of those guys. But uh but yeah, I mean I uh it if but yeah, so do you wanna go on? <laughs> let's <laughs> get into it, shall we? Yeah, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, we've been waiting for Speaking it. of characters. Speaking of tournaments to the death. There you go. <laughs> Exa- right. Well, well let's hold on. Okay. Uh, I just wanna lay the groundwork here. I Pretty much, I don't. I'm not sure where we first met at Tomorrow Show or yeah. our bar or something, but uh, uh, pretty much every other time that I've talked to you and the entire time I've known you, you've brought up uh, Fight Club and specifically this one sort of theme uh, yeah. that is uh, exemplified by Fight Club, and that's uh, I'm going to somewhat glibly call it the the plight of the straight white American male, middle class white American business working male. Right? Yeah. yeah. So let's. Uh, so I. We I talked about it with Ed so much that we really wanted to uh, talk about it on the show. So yeah. let's. Uh, why, why don't you lead the charge here? Well, okay. This well, is your baby. First, first, I wanted to like. First, I think that you guys both hated Fight Club. Is that that's true? That's true, right? And so I, I wanted philosophically. To, I want to defend Fight Club a little bit, but on All the right. other hand, I understand where. It, so it's like on one hand, I want to defend Fight Club. On the other hand, I can understand where like people come from being annoyed at Fight Club, because. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Here's the thing, like, I read Ebert's review of Fight Club, and I remember, like, reading it and him going, like, he he didn't understand what it was about at all. Like, why would you want to get punched in the face? Why would you want to punch people in the face? And I've been, you know, like I said, I started doing comedy late. Like, I've been basically a white, uh, middle American, middle class, college-educated guy working in a cubicle for 10 years now. And well, whitish, whitish. Well, I'm like khaki. <laughs> that's what I like to say. <laughs> I get treated. I get the jobs of white people. Let's just say. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, there's times when you pu- want to really just punch people in the face or get punched in the face. Like honestly, there have been annual reviews where I'm like, you could just hit me. Like <laughs> I'd rather you just hit me than like give you know do this to me. And so, but it was always interesting to me because I think a lot of the critics don't like it. Because, like, yeah, for Roger Ebert, it doesn't make sense. He's been doing his dream job hmm. for how many years now? 30 years now, right? Like, he's been... Um, 40 now. 40. 30 at the time of Fight Club, yeah. So, it's like, he probably has very little knowledge of, like, what it's like to, like, be yeah. a Fight Club person. To be one of those people. To be a guy who's, like, only releases a dart league. But those are my friends, like. Uh-huh. And so... I always attached to Fight Club in that way because I understood it. Also, I had, like, uh, anger issues. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, and I boxed for a little while. And there's a lot of people who box. Like, there's a lot of people who box as a hobby. And, mm-hmm. like, there is uh, a certain type of person. So my problem with people who criticize Fight Club in a way sometimes is, like, I'm okay with you not wanting to be in a Fight Club. I'm not okay with you not not understanding that this is a real psychological state of mind that people in America are in. And there is, if you look at many, many movies, like, and you look at themes in a lot of different movies, this same theme comes along and there are always different ways to react to the same thing, which is, well, let's, yeah, let's identify sorry, sorry, the theme on. first. Yeah. Why don't you we'll talk about what you're, what you're talking about before we talk about the examples. Okay. So sort of boil it down. The, the basic idea is like you go to college you're, this character went to college, got some sort of degree, accounting degree, computer science degree, whatever, and then gets the job that's supposed to be your job, and now you're 25 to 35, and you either have you're a family or you're single. It doesn't really matter. But at some point, the malaise of that lifestyle eats away at that person, and they snap. Yeah. Well, th- I think there's another element to it in that in sort of the post-feminist culture, the the role of the man is sort of has become le- right. ill emasculated. You're emasculated by like everything is that kind of idea. I mean, and, the, and there's like, if you look at, uh, if we can, we'll move on from fight club and talk about like another one that I brought up is like the matrix. Like the original matrix idea is, Hey, you went and got a degree in uh-huh. something that everyone was like, this is the f- computers of the future guys. Like if you get a computer degree, you're going to be rich. 
and have a good job and everything's going to be cool and you'll be happy. And the character of Neo did that and found life empty and boring and like was doing illegal shit on the side until one day a dominatrix woman shows up and grabs him by the scruff of the neck and has him hang out with a cool black guy. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like it's like it's like he goes from being like a white guy working in an office with all white people to hanging out with a really cool black guy and uh, an S and M chick. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like it couldn't be more like white male middle class fantasy. Like uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we all all secretly all white dudes want to have like a black guy they're completely comfortable with. Like that's <laughs> one of their dreams. And uh, so I think that yeah, that's probably true. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. Uh, so yeah, I I, uh, I think you see that in that it's a sort of maybe maybe the the core of the idea is that like the sort of like hell found idea like you got the thing that you thought was your dream that you spent twenty years going towards mm-hmm. and now it's not as cool as you thought like you realize that you still have to do work and you still have to like uh, but like I mean uh, stand up comedy is very much like a fight club i mean like it's brutal to yourself and i right. do it you know like it's just i have a day job that's in a cubicle and then i get off work and i change clothes and i go to a place where it's a bunch of dudes and we go like well we're gonna mentally beat the shit out of each other <laughs> you're gonna hear a lot of ironic rape for five hours now enjoy it <laughs> uh, uh, yeah for those of our listeners who are not who are more on the movie geek side and maybe not all oh, comedy yes, fans point out i just want to point out that the, the topic of rape has worked its way into alternative comedy in uh in an in insidious way it's it's it, insane i all comedy has rape in its bones these days <laughs> yeah i think i recently i was at the at an open mic uh which an open mic is like basically a practice space for you to do comedy and uh i got up on stage like after like 12 comedians and i was like i I hope that cops never find any of your joke notebooks because the cops will be just be like, look, I think we got a lead on every rape case, murder case and race based crime in L.A. Like this guy obviously is involved in some shit like like you can't you can't have six notebooks like that of just darkness sitting in your room and not be like a murderer. Right. Right. You're, uh, Ke- you're Kevin Spacey. And, you're Kevin. Yeah. Seven. You're like. Like it's like Ben Linus from Lost Notebooks or something like that. Like murder, murder, <laughs> rape, molestation. And then if somebody confronts you about it, you're like, no, it's funny. It's, it's okay. all funny. It's all a joke. Oh, is it funny? Bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> you just got bad cops. I uh, yeah. I, uh, I it's it's bad. I I don't, don't want to go too far off, but yeah, it's I I don't do jokes like that very. Often. I try to stay away from any of that, and uh, I've always felt like. If you make a joke about that particular topic, uh, rape, that uh, then if you get raped, it's they for every joke that you do that, like <laughs> you are allowed to be raped or something like that. I'm like, for every time you make light of it, it's totally okay for someone to put a de- like put a knife on your throat or something like that. And then like, and I'm not trying to make light of rape. I'm trying to say the exact opposite. I'm trying to say right. that's a really heavy thing to make a joke about. Like, yeah. it's, it's the, the most dehumanizing thing you can do to somebody, and you're like trying to make a fart joke about it. <laughs> Remember when poop was hilarious? Like, remember, like, watch, like, Richard Pryor, and he made a lot of poop jokes, you know? But he pooped, so it was totally cool. (laughs) No, I do that, so it's okay for me to joke about it. Now, I want to hear your guys' criticism of Fight Club, because I want to respond to it. Well, I mean, that's that's going to get us away from the theme, because, or at least, because my criticism has... I completely agree with 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 your analysis of Fight Club, and and right. I, I back that up. I just think that the the film itself um, is uh, it, it's and our listeners know this. We've been through it, but mm-hmm. uh, it wants to have its cake and eat it too. In a sense, it 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 wants to both. It spends most of the movie deifying Tyler Durden, and yeah. then at the end, it says like, "No, of course, obviously, this guy's a bad right. guy." And so, I mean, that's that yeah. is. I, I kind of thematically, I, I I get the movie until it. Go, I mean, I think the whole Project Mayhem thing is just a little too goes cool. too far. Yeah, yeah. When I uh, a moment ago, when I said that I philosophically uh, don't like the movie, that's not actually true. Or at least, like 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 you guys have said, uh, thematically, I'm on board with it. But the execution of it winds up like it becomes so much about the way it's pulling it off that. It winds up being philosophically something else, something different than what it started at, yeah. which is something I'm absolutely on board with. And one of the things is just, you know, uh, it's just 
it really I mean to me it really just comes down to the character of Tyler Durden he is just he is so cool Awesome. And it, yeah, I mean he's he's every. <laughs> well, I mean the, the name Tyler is, automatically puts you in like a cool category, right? Damn right, There's no <laughs> question about it. Doesn't matter how many people call you a lumberjack, but uh, but like he you just, bring the wood, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but like he's so cool. Like the you know the theory is that he's what every guy wants to be. You know he, he he's attractive. He's you know he 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 uh, is well. He's like very. He's ripped. He's ripped. ripped. I'm, tr- I'm trying to look yeah. for a better way to say it, but yeah, he's 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 ripped. Like he dresses like in a really crazy. He's just he's a he's an individual, and I want to be an individual. And then of course the idea behind Project Mayhem is it's like oh, but look, even in even in counterculture, it's possible to lose your individuality, yeah. and that's fine. But Tyler never does. Tyler remains cool. Even when Project Mayhem doesn't, and and I'm not sure, and that's the thing is I'm not sure what they could have done to make him not be cool anymore, to actually make us turn against him. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we talk about the theme of the movie, but I think what we're talking about is the theme of like the first half of the movie. Right. Yeah, By the yeah, end yeah. of the movie, I don't really know what the theme is. Is he saying that okay, they want to join Fight Club to rebel against this box that they've been put into as as middle class white American males, and that's fine. But then. And it's all anti-corporate and everything, and I'm fine with that. But then it turns out he's wrong. So is the movie saying that you should be happy in your cubicle? Well, I think I think that what's also reading the book kind of like helps with understanding it. I think a little bit more because I think what it it's more like if you it's more like it becomes Project Mayhem is that people go like oh that's really counterintuitive because you at the beginning it's like about being yourself and then you Project Mayhem isn't necessarily about I think when the way I see it is like it was about finding a family. It was mm-hmm. about unity. It just like there's something that, to me. There was always I almost joined the military. My father was uh, Air Force, and I kind of wanted that aspect. And the, like playing sports, I was always a terrible athlete. But I will always remember the times of like being in a locker room, taking off your pads, and someone going like, "Oh, you that was a really great catch you made," or something like that. Like yeah. that. Uh, and also, like, the, the author of the book, uh, you know, he comes from a weird family where things were broken. Like, it, a lot of that is, like, it, the scene where, like, he's – I think, like, the one of the most important scenes that people don't talk about is, like, when the main character who's kind of nameless and Tyler, who is in the tub, are talking about, you know, their father being gone and their mother was didn't try to raise them and they really didn't want girlfriends. It's kind of about, uh, like – white middle american males it's the same thing it goes back to the theme of like you're white middle class american males the problem is that you're separated from everybody you live in a cubicle during the day you go to a condo at night and if you're lucky you are in a dart league or a dodgeball league or a kickball league and that's your that's where you like you get your social interaction there's no more community anymore like everyone is totally segregated like i remember this really stuck with me from uh fahrenheit 451 i think it was where one of that's the, the right number <laughs> is that right that's the right fahrenheit yeah I, th- I think it's this book it's the book where they have like the coat the shells that they put on their heads and they have the video screens and uh one of the things they talk about is the first thing the government wanted to control people and one of the first things the government did is removed porches from houses because huh. uh then you didn't have people sitting on their porch seeing each other they stood in the, they stayed in their living room or in their backyard and if you would go around america people have fences around their front yards now there's no porches. Everyone has backyard patios with, with cookouts. There's no community anymore. Like I know what you're. I understand what you're saying. Where like it's kind of counterintuitive. Mayhem goes off the rails, but it's also like we're on the internet trying to make connections with people, like Second Life and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's what Project Mayhem more is. Like, hey, let's get together and do crazy but stuff. At the end, the movie does a 180 and, and is kind of damning about Project Mayhem. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, before the end, when Meatloaf dies. <laughs> oh, Meatloaf. Spoilers. Spoiler spoiler <laughs> alert. Jeez, you ruin everything. <laughs> I, okay, here's the two things I'll, I'll agree with. Number one, Brad Pitt is, like, super attractive to, to everyone. Like, I, <laughs> like I'm not he, – he is the quintessential name in the sentence of, I'm not gay, but – like, you know what I mean? Like, to do right. – like, they're, like – straight or gay the scene where he there's a shot of him like after one of the fights he stands up and he kind of like 
moves like a serpent and he has no body fat and he's just like standing over the guy's body sweaty and i remember my friend who worked with me who was kind of like an artist like a performance artist was like this picture is fucking in picture form like it was like (laughs) just sweaty and sexual and uh like there's uh, we i think as men we're like we're afraid to say like oh that's a sensual thing that a man is doing but it is like a kind of an erotic gay thing (laughs) and uh like I think that he is super charismatic and likable as a person, and and so that kind of works in the beginning, but kind of is hard at the end. Like you, you kind of want the Edward Norton character to die and the Brad Pitt character to keep going, which is kind of not what you want in real life. But in the movie, you're like, I you want you want Brad Pitt, not not. Uh, that's Norton. to me that that's the failing of the film. Yeah, it makes you me wonder. I mean, and that it's one of the reasons that I think the book, which I haven't read, but the book inherently will have more power because you're not picturing Brad Pitt. The character isn't played by anybody. I'm always um, picturing Brad Pitt. <laughs> well, fair <laughs> enough. In every know. book you read. It's like, what role uh, is he in Fahrenheit 451? <laughs> All of them. The firemen? Come on. Um, he's, it, the outfits are different than they describe in the book, but he's a fireman, trust me. <laughs> but they do, try, like, they do try and make Tyler a little bit different as he becomes a, a, a villain. Right. Like, they shave his head. They make him dress even more outlandish to the point of being kind of uh, silly looking. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's, uh, they did not change the performance. They uh, the only thing I can think of, and I don't even know if this would have worked, is they should have had his performance start to mirror that of the other people in Project Mayhem who are now sounding like zombies. Like, he's not, don't have any real personality show through. Just have him become just like one of the drones that we're supposed to dislike. That's the only thing I could think, and I don't even know if that would work. But it, I think I think partly what, like, kind of the message of these types of movies, like American Beauty is another one of these that came at a similar time, like American Beauty kind of has the same theme a little bit, is that you shouldn't be a pot-smoking 40-year-old guy who neglects his family. You shouldn't be a crazy fight club guy, but you also don't have to let yourself be the guy who's like completely repressed and living a boring life. The, the happiness is in the middle. Mm-hmm. The happiness is like that you go to work and at work you interact with people and your work is good. And then you come home and you have a family and you're not pushing your family away and that you're getting high every once in a while and going yeah. to see Led Zeppelin tribute bands and whatever, like, or you're boxing for a hobby. You're like, don't repress like America. Like let, let yourself have fun a little bit. You know, people are so yeah, that's, uptight. That's one of the things I mean, we've talked on the show about how we're squares. <laughs> Try to my, um, we've talked about how American beauty doesn't really hold up and it's not as good as I remembered. Yeah. But, um, that's one of the things I really like about about its theme is that it doesn't it does what t- what Fight Club didn't. It doesn't make Kevin right. Spacey cool when he when he gives up his job and everything. He's being really irresponsible and he's still being he's still in a way. Uh, and I want I want to get back to uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I want to, I, but I want to get back to the emasculation part of this theme. But uh, and that's a big part of what happens in American Beauty. Mm-hmm. He's but he's still emasculated because he still can't be a man. Uh, he's emasculated because he's got the job and his wife's cheating on him, mm-hmm. but he still can't be a man because he immediately turns his attention to a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like that about the movie that it it doesn't he doesn't just emerge from a cocoon and he's like, yeah, I quit my job and now I'm awesome. It's like, no, you're still a loser. Yeah, yeah, he's just a different type of loser. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I I I love. What's weird is like. I look back on American Beauty and I really remember lo- liking it a lot. I can remember walking oh, yeah. out of the theater and going like, "That was awesome." Yeah. And I don't have any idea why I liked it because I was so re- I was still in college, like I was so removed from Kevin Spacey's character, but I still dug it. Like I, I still was like, "Oh, that was a great movie." I I haven't watched it in a long time, but yeah, I get what you're saying because like you kind of want him to not. Se- you know, statutorily attack that girl. Kind of. I'm yeah. avoiding the R word now, but like, yeah, you don't want him to sleep with a 17 year old girl. You're, and when he makes that decision, you're happy. You know, like both movies end with the the guy shooting himself and getting shot in the head. By the way, yeah. Fight Club and American Beauty, like, and uh, Matrix, kind of like you know, he ends up being blind or whatever. Like, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I feel like it's it's just interesting that it keeps that this is kind of a thing like. The other movie that my ex-girlfriend at the time like brought up was a 
uh, Austin Powers. That's what I wanted to get to because I remember the first one of the first times we talked about you and I had this discussion about this topic. You brought up Austin Powers, and I didn't see it at first. Then you pointed out, and it's really obvious. It's more about what I was talking about about the the post feminist culture yeah. and the like the post AIDS and and post sexual terror and and uh the post seeing women as humans <laughs> <laughs> but i mean also just all the all the things that happened in like the 1980s you know the rise of the moral majority and aids and all these things that made sex so terrifying yeah. and also the feminization uh you know or or feministizing or whatever of the culture that made uh men less able to be sexual predators <laughs> for lack of a better term um it's all that's all you know uh on the surface pragmatically that's all good stuff it's all good that it happened but it, it you know the american male psyche existed and the male psyche in general western male psyche existed on a certain path for so long and it like completely got derailed and like so there's sort of this like psychological turmoil and and austin powers is very much about that like i wish we could go back to the 60s when right. we didn't have to worry about that we didn't have to you know treat women as human beings well like in late 60s it's also specifically like late 60s and not and it's a very like weird version of late 60s where there isn't for some reason like he functioned during the sexual revolution without ever gaining any respect for women you uh-huh. know what i mean like like yeah women had sex with a lot of men. people were having sex or whatever but it was also like joan baez you know what i mean uh-huh. like that's a powerful woman like not uh not all women in the 60s were hussies, you know, like, and it's, yeah, it's I'll, really like a specific. I'll guarantee you there are plenty of, of men who didn't respect women taking advantage of that, you right, know, like right. warming their way into that culture just to get laid a lot. Right. He like what's interesting about it is the is to me is like Mike Myers view parody of of that era views it as what this what sexual freedom meant back then was men could screw whoever they wanted. Uh-huh. Not like it wasn't about freedom of like in a way like women had one choice to either screw me or be made fun of for being a square like that's uh-huh. like that was the yeah you have a freedom to choose you can either be a total loser or give me a blowjob like <laughs> no that's not what sexual revolution was like it was uh different than that and also uh but what what I'm what I'm saying is that it uh, yeah, it was different from that in the moment, but it makes sense for uh, American men, or Western men in general, right. I should say, uh, to sort of view it that way. And, and I mean, ironically, to romanticize it. Right, you right. Know, uh, because they they can't do that anymore, even, even if they wanted, whether it's yeah. right or wrong. Yeah. I, uh, it is It is weird that that's... That, well, but this happens in a lot of different eras. Like, the view women have like constantly sort of like it's like uh trench warfare like you know before world war one women there was a feminist movement they got the ability to vote you know mm-hmm. and then it got but then after world war one and then after world war two like both those times like their power their like freedoms kind of get reined back in and then they move forward again the sexual re- revolution happens and then you know with a combination of aids and republican uh sort of like reagan era and there's like a lot of female backlash and it gets the sexual revolution like feminism becomes a negative word and uh like it gets pulled back again and mm-hmm. then it you know like it, it doesn't happen it happens in waves and not in like a straight line in a way and so it's easy to kind of look back and romanticize something like that and it's yeah, just because austin powers is not a movie about the 60s it's well, about it's a movie about now white men now now yeah the it's way really, that they view it it's really a criticism of how we behave like it's really looking around going like you guys are all pussies honestly like <laughs> Tyler when was the last time that you just fucked a girl at a casino right like well, did you see that thing I think it was in uh, Esquire a couple months ago where no really I want to know the answer to that question by the way <laughs> where, where Clint Eastwood said that the, the like people our age now are the pussy generation like men our age <laughs> yeah right Clint you he does know that he only made movies about tough <laughs> shit right like he plays golf like 12 times a week like the pussiest sport ever I love golf but like like let's you weren't really dirty hairy like you had the fayest life ever like there was you were not going to accidentally get shot like you were in the movie the good the bad and the ugly like you weren't actually a cowboy he knows that right like is he getting to the crazy point of his life where he's like I was in 
you were not in the West. I was yeah. in Italy, a cowboy in Italy. You were not. You were filming a movie <laughs> in Italy about cowboys. <laughs> Do not call me a pussy generation. I have cows. I did. I worked construction, you know, a couple summers, you know, like you may, were making movies. Like, uh-huh. it's, I've been on movie sets. It's like the pussiest thing you can do, buddy. <laughs> like, it's the craft services. What, did you have to wrestle somebody for a handful of pretzels one time, Clint? <laughs> you don't know what it's like. Uh, yeah, screw him. Like, screw other people. Like, we all have, every generation has their burden, and we're all carrying our, you know, weight, and we're all trying to, like... Well, I like to think, uh, maybe I'm wrong, and I'm just being too optimistic, but I think, you know, 10 years after Austin Powers, people our age, like men our age now in their mid-20s are finally starting to adjust to that, and I think we're, uh, I don't think we, I don't think I, I don't have that psychological baggage. Like, I don't, I don't. I don't wish that I could go back. You know, I, I like the way that it is to be. I like I like being a man now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what a man you are. And, uh, yeah, so, I, um, maybe there's hope for the future. I think maybe you know there there is some course correcting to. Yeah, it may just be generational groups like aging and like you get to a certain age and you look back and you go like, oh, what was I thinking? Like, but also, I mean, it's a weird. It is a weird time because and and I think, you know, like sexuality as a whole is hard to understand and movies try to like there's uh understanding um, you know like going back to like well being emasculated well is it emasculating for a male to not be able to have sex whenever he wants or is it emasculating for uh a male to limit himself to one woman you know what i mean to that i might have caused a pop there we can knock that out (laughs) i think you know what i mean like what what it's I, I think that like what's interesting is it's not it's interesting to think about those things it's a it's just crazy to like go okay this is what i think is emasculation and this is what i think the reaction to emasculation is you know it's okay to be like wait what is my role in sexuality anymore you know my friend just had a son and my other i have friends who are having children sons and daughters and there really isn't that many movies about father-son relationships and there's not a lot of models for fatherhood and it seems like like that's why i love the tv show friday night lights because like mm-hmm. it's like the first dad i've ever seen on tv where i'm like oh my god like this is what i want to be for a father you know yeah. like atticus finch like that's a model of that fatherhood. and major dad major and then major dad well a must obviously a little, a little ahead of his time though. you gotta have a mustache obviously <laughs> if you're gonna be a dad uh but you know but there seems to be a lot more of an understanding of motherhood than fatherhood in a way like I feel like modern motherhood is kind of understood. Modern fatherhood is weird, like, because you're in two-income homes. It's very disorient. I can understand where, like, male disorientation comes from. Like, if you, in American Beauty, that's part of what Kevin Spacey's character is going through is, like, he doesn't really understand his place in the home. His wife makes good money, you know? Like, he could quit his job and the money keeps coming in, but yet he... It's one of those things where it's like you haven't taken on any additional responsibilities, but you also then aren't taking on like the the rewards of those responsibilities. Since like if you're just a, a, you know still doing what men traditionally were supposedly doing in America, which was going to work, coming home, and eating dinner that your wife cooked, uh-huh. well, we're, but your wife is also making money. Then what value are you bringing to the home if she can do everything you can do? And then what mothers are taught to do? It's like uh, so that's kind of. And who suffers? The children. The children really do, actually, to the point where they shoot people. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, and I uh, well, actually, they don't do it, but <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, but I just like uh, I I think it's kind of like it is something that we like we have to figure out. Like, go like, okay, how does how does families work? How do men work now? Like, where do we fit in? Like, are we being narcissists, worrying about this stuff? Like, I don't. I don't think so at all. I mean, it's just one of the okay. I guess I'll approach this. Um, th- my my friends have often uh, accused me of, uh, jokingly so, but maybe not, don't quite know yet, <laughs> um, of uh, being uh, something of a chauvinist because I am so easily offended by portrayals of men in, like, sitcoms and stuff. Like, yeah. the, like, the way, you know, uh, I, I wrote probably longer a longer blog than I should have about the poster for the film uh, The Awful Truth or something like that where there's... There's, uh, you know, a female fi- like like men's room and you know the men's room and the women's room. Yeah. Like there's those basic figures of a woman and a man, 
uh, and then it shows uh, there's a red heart in the in the head of the woman, and then of course the red heart is in the groin of the man, and it's like that's a little insulting, yeah. <laughs> um, you know. It just, so stuff like that, but it's like there's that, and then like just the way then like you watch like everybody loves Raymond, and it's just like. His wife is verbally abusive to him, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. being played for laughs. This isn't a drama. This yeah. isn't a kitchen sink drama. But um, and so it's it is something that is just, you know. And I, I've I've talked to people about it. Like one of the I just I, my wife loves Sex in the City. I do not enjoy it. I watch it, and I, it just makes me feel really neurotic <laughs> about myself. Um, Those and, guys are all in really good shape. Well, I, I just mean just like it just it's like. Is is my penis big enough? Is it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. The only person talking about it on the show is this woman who clearly likes them much larger. But uh, and so it's well. Thank, we've got Evan Handler on that show though. Because th- that's I, true. I mean, he's great on the show, but I, I'm in better shape than Evan Handler. So <laughs> I'm uh, I'm in closer to his shape. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, and so and I remember I I, I, I talked uh, uh, about this to, to somebody one time and and. I said, like, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it bother you that 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 this is, you know, whether it be, you know, sitcoms or whatever the case may be, and and like commercial in in some commercials, you know, like men are just told to shut up and it's treated like, oh, that's fine, right? Yeah. And it's just like, doesn't that bother you? And they're like, well, women were treated like that for, you know, years and years. I'm like, not by me. <laughs> it's not my fault, you know. And just and so like. So because I, I, I get kind of defensive about it because I feel like it's an attack on me personally because, as it turns out, I'm, I'm a man. And, and it actually is. All the writers hate you. I, you know what? I had my suspicions for a while. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and so, so I, was, I was called so chauvinistic. And so, like, but frankly, I don't think it's, a, it's, it's narcissistic to, to think about, like, well, what does this mean? I mean, I you know listeners know i am a i am a christian and in the christian world you know like i read a, a book that's actually very good it's it takes a while to get going i recommend it though it's called wild at heart and one of the things that it says is just like in the christian church that's not when barry gifford's wild at heart no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no it's no john eldridge um i've seen guy. the movie it's really great yeah it's exact it's an it's adaptation exactly of that different. you know it's all about uh, what it's like <laughs> to be a, a man in the church um but the uh you know, one of the central things is like, you know, it's like men used to be overly domineering. Mm-hmm. And now, especially in the church, the emphasis is just be a nice guy. You know, yeah. don't it's like it like don't don't like overexert any kind of any any leadership qualities, because then you might be accused of going back to the, you know, the dark yeah. ages uh, of the of the beliefs. Here's here's the thing, though, like we that is we're all basically recovering from the 1950s, which lied mm-hmm. to us. Because if you, like, there's these really great shows where they take people and put them in period houses, you know? And, like, yeah. mm-hmm. if you watch any of those shows, you quickly figure out that there was a lot more equality because, yeah, and, and I, mean, I don't know that this is true 100%, but uh, I used to work for Toshiba, and, like, my boss, I remember my boss explaining to me, he's like, in Japan, yeah, men are considered the head of the house or whatever, but the wife... Women always do the checkbooks. Women always purchase everything or whatever. So it's kind of like the government where it's like you can pass a law, but we're not going to fund it. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like so like like I think the president can refuse funding things or something mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like so there was much more of a balance. After World War II, we that is when they were like because women had taken jobs and they could have just let the women keep their jobs. They had to figure out a way to like pull them back into the home. They had to go like, no, the women, the way women, what women really do is they're dumb and they don't have shoes and they sit in the house all the time uh-huh. and they get pregnant. But that's not true at all. If you watch like uh, the any of those like period home things, it's colonial like colonial house, was colonial one. house, like the settlement. There's one where they do a, uh, settle like the western plains of like in Wyoming or whatever, building cabins and living in them. Like the women are doing the cooking, the women are doing cleaning. Yes, but you didn't have washing machines. You didn't have uh, you didn't have dishwashers, you didn't have dryers, you didn't have TV dinners. That was real work. Like, yeah. try, go and get a wash tub. Go and get one of those things that you use for uh, your jug band, one of those, <laughs> like, wash, washboard. washboards or whatever, and try to do your load of laundry with that. You're going to be a ripped, powerful woman. Like, <laughs> I, like I guarantee you women in that era who used that wash basin had, like, guns. They were, they <laughs> looked, and so it's like... There, there was definitely more equality back then, 
there was definitely a be, just because they had responsibility. 1950s tech, we used technology to uh, do you emasculate women? If you emasculate men, what do you call them? <laughs> yeah, I think it's called femasculating. Femasculating women. So we did. I actually learned that from this week's Savage Love. Oh, really? That's the uh, written version of the podcast. Uh, but yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, it's it's this. Uh, it's once again. I'm not. You're, you said you're a Christian. I'm not trying to sh- crap on Christians, but like I don't believe it. Uh, <laughs> but like I think religious people want you to believe like homosexuality just started 12 years ago or something like <laughs> yeah. no people have been doing it for years like plato did it like ever i'm sure they they did it in the migrant times like there's it's actually there's, mentioned in the bible yeah it's 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 been around a while yeah and there's a whole there we're the, gonna put our dick in it son in braveheart yeah <laughs> <laughs> historical document boogering. Braveheart. well that was called yeah. boogering uh, a lad <laughs> i think and of course uh, his lover's death is played as comedy uh, <laughs> yeah if we, we're gonna do an episode about Mel Gibson. I say it every time a Mel Gibson movie comes up, but I want yeah. to talk about Mel Gibson. Oh, for an he's hour. so he's such a interesting. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Like we can talk about the emasculation of white males. Uh, if you go into TV shows, you have two and a half men. Like look at the two arch. These are the two archetypes of men on this show. Mm-hmm. One's a philanderer who has no soul, and one's basically gay but likes women. Like mm-hmm. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Like. John Cryer's character is basically called faggot like twenty times on that every episode. Like, you might as well like if I would love to like get an episode and just like take out the jokes but only put the subtext of the jokes. It'd be like I'm gonna fuck a woman. You're a faggot. Like that's every episode of Turn Half Men. And uh, well, on that note, oh, are we ending? Oh, I wanted to bring well, up if you got if you got something more. I just wanted to say like one of my favorite like kind of to tie it up where like where men are right now in media and the sort of like white this white men crying about being emasculated and whining and stuff like that because i do think it's actually kind of whiny and annoying but like uh one of my favorite sweetest justices like there's very few actors who are out and gay uh-huh. and one of them plays the most misogynistic guy on tv barney yes. mm-hmm. in how i met your mother and i love the idea that like the person who can best play Every douchebag who owns every Ed Hardy hoodie is <laughs> is the only openly well, gay actor in LA. In, in Barney's defense, he would never wear Ed Hardy. That's Barney's true. a very well dressed individual. He is uh, Donna Karen or whatever. Right. Then, you know. But uh, well, this has been fun, guys. I would, we could talk about stuff all the time and really bore a lot of people. If we did. <laughs> I hope it's enjoyable for no, you. I out think there. Uh, I think you 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 did your job and brought the funny. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. I do know that some people on a, on our forum wished that uh, I already know that they're bummed out that we didn't uh, argue more about Fight Club. But that's the thing is, uh, David and I, I'm glad that we got the opportunity to uh, kind of elaborate our position that the initial theme of Fight Club is one that I'm I'm really on board with. It's one of the you know, uh, but for me, it's really just one of those things where part of me is like, eh, maybe it should have stayed a book. Or maybe just done by a different Wait, here, director. Here's the other thing. Oh, see, that's right. Like, that I'm movie, saying maybe. I don't know. That movie. Oh, I'm sorry. No, we're going. But okay, that movie. The look of it has been ripped off by CSI and a mm-hmm. bunch of other things. Like this, the soundtrack is amazing. I think the acting is good, even though there's sort of a misstep at the end. I agree with you. That's fine. But like, it literally when it gets talked about, it's talked about as like this movie gets zero stars. Like I feel that's when people people are so appalled by the ending of it that like they're like there's no re- no. There's nothing here that's important. It's like there is we had this really long discussion and all of it basically comes from that idea of Fight Club and trying to right. figure out like is Fight Club right? Is Fight Club wrong? It's not whether it's right or wrong. It's like stop and don't just get your jo- I think a lot of like frat guys or whatever like that movie that's a problem. A lot mm-hmm. of jocks. And it's like that's not it's criticizing that in a way. Yeah. So look at it. Don't just like Well, it's one of the reasons that I mean it, listeners know that I've I've said this a million times that like in my view 1999 is one of the best if not the best movie year ever simply by virtue of how many great movies came out. And I include Fight Club in that not necessarily because I think it's a great movie, but the sheer no, an entire generation of me, of certainly men and perhaps women have been influenced by that movie. I mean it it will be remembered. Some people may not like it and may break it down in artistic terms but it, it does get people thinking and asking questions probably yeah. right up until until the end when it's one of the, we've talked about the show before it's there there were like most of the people that you and i went to film school with were mm-hmm. there 
because of one of three films, uh, Pulp Fiction, Rushmore, or Fight Club. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's, yeah. Those are the movies that drove that generation just, into films. Can school. I end on this terrible joke? Uh, okay. Guys, we just broke the first rule of Fight Club. We talked about that shit. <laughs> Peace out. Ed Salazar, 2009. Support the troops. Word. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for being on the show, Ed. Uh, uh, hang on. Uh, EdwardSalazar.com? EdwardSalazar.com. ComedyMeltdown.com is the blog for and also information about the show. And uh, Rotten Tomatoes TV uh, on current TV. Please watch it. You can upload. If you're a movie geek, you can upload your own reviews of movies, and they'll put it on TV. You will be on air. Hmm. Awesome. All right. One All more right, thing well, for us to do. Yeah, get up your butts, guys. <laughs> thanks. thanks. All right, guys. thanks. Bye. Bye.